thing. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, and uh, it's, uh, it's just a, a wonderful time to, to be able to, to be in God's house. There's no other place that, uh, you know, as I was growing up, I always thought, you know, I had to go because my, my dad was a preacher, and I usually sit like the second or third pew on the back, and, and he just had to look. And if he looked, and I had, had, that was one of that look, I mean, I knew, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, he was going to get me. So, But, uh, you know, those things are not, uh, you know, you th- you, at the time you think, oh, boy, you know, that's so hard. You know, your parents make you go to church. But then I realized uh, when I gave my heart to the Lord that I love being in church because that's where God's people were. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. What does it mean to be loved? Wouldn't it, uh, you know, to know how much you are loved? You know, that's uh, our topic because I think, you know, as we've been studying on Jonah, the one thing Jonah has forgotten, and I think it's the one thing that I as a Christian forgot, even after, you know, you, know, you get saved and you get, you're all happy and you're excited, but all of a sudden you kind of lose that thrill and that excitement. And what happens is that we forget that there's someone that loves us unconditionally. And, uh, you know, that makes a big, that really affects your life when you realize that someone loves you unconditionally. And I believe that that's one of the reasons that Jonah is having the problem that Jonah's having. And I believe that really in a lot of ways, you know, as you look at a lot of, uh, a lot of discipline issues, how many kids grow up not knowing that they're loved? I mean, think about it. A lot of kids never hear a parent say to them, I love you, son, or I love you, daughter. And uh, we live in a, in a culture in which, you know, you think, well, you know, people should know that, you know, children need that. But, you know, adults need that too. We need to know that God loves us unconditionally. There's nothing that you can do to get God to love you any more than he does right now. If you are in Christ, there's nothing you can do to make him love you any more than he does already. But there's also nothing that you don't do that's going to cause God to love you any less. You realize that? Now, that is amazing love, right? And it should grip us. I mean, think about... uh, the, the, the time when you found out that someone loved you. I mean, th- even in a human relationship, when you find out that the, the, the girl that you are showing a lot of attention to, that she really loves you, and you go like, whoa. <laughs> it does change things, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you're kind of, well, okay, well, I, I'm glad that I, that I know that now. And vice versa, that she knows that. Well, Jonah is at a point where he's angry, and he's, he's, I would say, I always think of Jonah as a, as a prophet who's hot under the collar. Uh, and I think of Jonah as a, as a, as a prophet who kind of like, you know, you know somebody's angry when they're red-faced? Uh, I would, you know, sometimes clenched fist, sometimes sweating, gritting your teeth. That's Jonah right now. And he's, he's having a difficult time with God and how God does things. And I think a lot of us sometimes wonder, well, why does God do what he does and why he does it the way that I don't think he should do it? Well, Jonah is at that point here. And so Jonah, 
You remember Jonah chapter 1 is Jonah fleeing from God because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Chapter 2, Jonah praying in the fish and repenting. Chapter 3, he preaches a message which he didn't really want to preach. And Nineveh repents. And then we come to chapter 4 and Jonah's pouting. Jonah's angry. And so we're going to pick up with verse 4 here. And uh, we're going we're to look at this text, but I, but I want us to focus in on how does God pursue one of his children that he loves unconditionally? And how does, jo- how does that affect Jonah? How, do, how is that going to affect Jonah's um, attitude uh, here as, he, as God unfolds for him how much he loves him? So notice in beginning with verse 5, Jonah went out, to the, out of the city... And he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, could see, he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed, God, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up, And the new day God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So that withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into, came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, uh, this is just a wonderful text for us this morning to see your heart. Lord, it's one thing to see Jonah's heart, but uh, Lord, sometimes we, in our frustration and our struggles, we need to see your heart and how much you love us. And Father, that that love that has been extended to us in Christ, uh, Father, is uh, something that... Uh, you desire for us to know. Father, that we would go out of here knowing that, uh, that you love us and that there's nothing that we can do to ever get you to love us any more than you already do. And there's nothing that we don't do that, you can't, that would cause you to love us any less. And so, Father, I ask you now that you would bless your word to us this morning. And, Father, that you would minister to each heart here. Father, there's struggles and difficulties that we go through. I think of the, the, the prayer requests and many that are going through testing and surgeries, Lord, and we just ask for your healing hand. We thank you for those that are being ministered to through, uh, Father, through the, the kinds words of a compassion for those who, who hear the gospel and believe and those who are comforted by hearing another believer tell them how much God loves them. And Father, we thank you for going with us, that you, never, you said you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And because of this this morning, Lord, we come and we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when Paul was writing uh, the book of Ephesians, and I'm not jumping to Ephesians, but one of the prayers that uh, 
that Paul the Apostle prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. He said that he bowed his knee to God the Father, and he prayed that you and I would know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God that passes all understanding. And he doesn't stop there. So that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, that is a powerful prayer for somebody. Can you imagine it? He wants us to know how high God's love is. It's, it's, you can't, it's, he said it's higher than the heavens. How low it is. How wide and how, how, breath, how, how, wide and how breathtaking it is. And he said because he want, God wants to change us by his love and wants us to be filled with the fullness of God. Well, Jonah is struggling. And as a believer, I believe he's struggling because he's forgotten the very basics of Christianity, and that is, is that God loves his people. And sometimes we think when we're going through, we're trying, we're going through a, a crisis experience in our life, sometimes we forget that what God is doing in that crisis situation in our life or whatever difficulty we go through, we seem to want to interpret who God is through that circumstance rather than to realize that that circumstance really is there because God does love us. We think of it as oftentimes as God's punishment or maybe God's working, uh, you know, did I do something to offend God? Why, doesn't, why, doesn't things, why aren't things going the way that they should? And yet what really is happening is that God is using that in our lives to do something about us. He wants us to see something about our own heart and our own relationship to God. So when was, when was the last time, for example, um, you caught yourself being angry? Ah, maybe a few years ago, maybe, right? No. You know, we're, we're usually angry because we don't get something we want, right? I mean, think about a child. You take a toy from a child, and what is it exactly? They want that, they, they want that, that toy, and uh, it's interesting that so many of the fruits of the flesh and that we read about in the Bible in Galatians 5, they're actually in the anger family. <laughs> and you go like, okay, then there's, a, there's an issue there that needs to be dealt with. But a lot of that anger flows out of a, a lack of understanding how much God loves you and how much God loves us in Christ. And so what God is doing here is he's he's in a very gracious and a good way exposing something to Jonah that Jonah has forgotten. In the midst of all of his struggles, even in the uh, the storm that God sent and the fish that God sent, the great fish, and even in preaching to Nineveh, he's forgotten the very basics of the gospel, and that is that God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, obviously, he's, we know that by looking back. Jonah is supposed to be looking forward. But, but what Jonah's forgotten is how much God loves him. And what we have here is that God then gets the flannel graph out, if you will. You know, my first uh, experience at teaching the Bible, guess what? I had to use flannel graph. And I had to ask my wife how to use it. It was at a nursing home she was working at. And... Uh, and many of the, the residents were older, but they, they couldn't understand. I was, I was just talking too highfalutin. You know, I was, I was talking, I was using theological terms that they had not heard. But so I started using flannel graph, and guess what? I started connecting with the people 
And uh, I thought it was humiliating, but they were getting it and, uh, and they were rejoicing, you know, because they could see visually what was, I was trying to explain about God's love and God's grace. And so what God does here is he stops because Jonah, remember, God says, what, you, do you do well to be angry? He asked him a question. What does Jonah say? Nothing at this point. You know what he's saying? He just pouts and goes off and sits on the hill. He's sitting there pouting. And then God pulls out this illustration. And it's beautiful here because if you, if you think about it, so, so God's going to say, this is what love is about, Jonah. This is what I want you, this is, the, this is what I want to happen in your heart, Jonah. And so, first of all, I'm going to be showing you what love is. And, and if you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, what's the first thing love is? It's not a concept. It's what? Love is patient. Now, do you think God's being a little patient with Jonah here? <laughs> I mean, Jonah said, I want to die. It's better for me to die than to live, verse 3. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah goes off and pouts. And God says, okay, I'm going to love you, Jonah. Just love you a little bit more. And what does God do? Love is patient. And we see God's patience all through here because Jonah, even after Jonah gets this illustration, what happens? Jonah then, after, after God takes the gourd away, and, or if it's a gourd or a castor oil plant or whatever the vine is, then Jonah even prays to die again. I do well to be you know, angry. In other words, Lord, just take my life. I don't really want to live anymore. Seems a little depressed. I'm not trying to be hard on Jonah, but you have to remember that Jonah really, God's working with Jonah to get Jonah to see Jonah. That Jonah's biggest problem is Jonah. Isn't that scary? Sometimes our biggest problem is, is right in front of us. And, and he's asking a question. So, so think about the patience of God here. Uh, have you ever lost your patience with, with, with your child, for example? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever disciplined with him? Yeah, I've lost it at times. Uh, have you ever blown up at somebody because they said something that you didn't like? Yes. Uh, or maybe I just clammed up. I just walked off like Jonah. But God doesn't treat us the way we deserve he treats us the opposite. That's what, that's what that word long-suffering means. God's got a long fuse. And Jonah has even confessed, think about it, he has, he has confessed that God is a God of long-suffering and patience. Now, he's saying that confessionally, but what's he doing in the way that he's acting? He's acting as if, well, I know you should be patient with me, but not with those people. <laughs> In fact, I'm setting up, he's setting up on the hill now. He's, he's walked out, he's preached to the city. He's walked up on the hill. He's built a little tiny booth for himself. And he's sitting there and he's saying, Lord, it's all fake. It's all fake. This really not real. What they're doing is not real. I'm just going to wait for you to go ahead and change your mind and destroy the city. Or... Lord, I know that if I wait you out long enough, maybe you'll change your mind and destroy the city. And you're saying, that's a prophet, okay? That's a, you're thinking like, Jonah, there's something going on there that's not right. And yet, that's what Jonah... I mean, think about the Ninevites were people that when they caught their enemies like Israel, they flayed them alive, 
Okay, so these are terrorists, <laughs> some of them. Uh, they, they would cut off their limbs and they would leave at least their right hand so that when, before they died, they'd shake hands with them to insult them before they died. So Jonah really does hate the Ninevites and he doesn't want to see God show mercy or even to re- see them repent and God to show mercy. And so, so Jonah's plan is, is God's judgment. God's plan is what? To relent and to show mercy on them. And so we see God's patience being demonstrated to him. And, and in fact, if, if God was happy with Jonah at this point, guess what? His mission's been accomplished, right? Chapter 3, the whole city repented. Okay, Jonah, you've done your mission. I'm done with you. Just go. But God's not done with Jonah. God's not done with you and me. If you're a believer, God's not done with you. You say, but, but I know, but I just don't think the way God's done things is the right way to do it. And God's saying, but, but guess what? There's more to the Christian life than the mission that God gives us, right? Because if we do the mission without having a love for God, guess what? We've missed the whole point of the mission, right? If we're going to tell people how much God loves them, well, then we need to also know experientially in our own lives that God loves us. That it's not just about doing, okay, you know, some people look, look at the Christian life like this. It's just all about being obedient. That's not all it is about being in a family, is it? Just, just do whatever you're told to do. But if you forget that the thing that God wants the most is a relationship with you, then you've missed the point of the Christian life. It's all about relationship. It's all about relations to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit, what? He reveals the Son. The Son and the Spirit, they reveal, both of them reveal the Father to us. So the point of the Christian life is relationship that God wants us to know that we are loved unconditionally. And brothers and sisters, that's one of the things that, that, that's, that God intends to transform us because think about it, if you're just preaching to people hoping that they're going to either, you either repent or you're going to go to hell. What's the point, right? What's the point? I mean, if our desire, you know, God, desire, God does not desire, it says he doesn't will. He's not, God's not sitting up there just saying, boy, I just can't wait to, to, to really just to pour out my wrath on you. That, that's God's strange work even in the scriptures. Now, God will judge those who reject him, but guess what? He's got a whole lot of love that he's demonstrated every day because the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? It doesn't just, you know, the rain doesn't just come. Okay, when it rains in in Salt Rock where I live, it just rains right on my house, and all the unrighteous don't get any rain. No, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm not saying everybody's unrighteous, but but God distributes even his common grace to a, to a world that's in need. And Jonah has forgotten that. And, and notice how God's, God's grace, not only is it patient, but notice how, how sovereignly and graciously God works here. What does God do? He appoints. Notice that you, that word appoint there is very significant in verse 6. The Lord God appointed a plant. And then the Lord God appointed a worm. Do you know he's the Lord of the worms? That even the little bitsy-witsy, I mean, those little things that you throw in there to fish with, Donnie, 
God's the Lord of that worm. And he tells that worm, you go. Now, I've got, a, I've got a little job for you. Now, I'm not talking that he's literally. But, in fact, he appoints that gourd to come up, and it just, oh, it just makes Jonah so happy. In fact, it, it, what it does in the scriptures, if you read it, Jonah, this is the first time that you see Jonah smile. The whole book. The guy is just really frowning on God's providence, and, and this is the first time he cracks a smile. And, and it's, this word is used, it says, Jonah was so happy about the shade over his head. That word is usually, the majority of times it's used in the Old Testament is about rejoicing and delighting in God. What's Jonah delighting in? He's delighting in his gourd. He's delighting in his comfort. He's delighting in the fact that, Lord, as long as it's going well for me, it's about time something good happened to me. And he's, he's delighting in that. And then what happens? God appoints a worm, and he says, go and destroy the plant. And the worm obediently goes, and he eats the plant. The plant dies. And then God sends, it says, a strong east wind. It would be like a, I mean, you know, it's one thing to be hot and to be burning up under the sun, but this, this east wind, was, was, it's, it's like breathing hot air in your nostrils. I mean, you're already burning up, but now you're burning up with, you're, you're suffocating. And Jonah is basically, he is, he's had it. He's just, I mean, he's ready to rip up his Bible. And he's saying, Lord, just, just take my life. It's not worth living anymore. And and. God in his, notice how, so what does God, God's involved in Jonah's trial, right? God prepared what? He prepared the gourd. Now, somebody said it was a castor oil plant because he needed a little castor oil. Uh, but the point is, regardless of what kind of plant it was, I call it a gourd because Jonah's sitting under his gourd and now it's destroyed. And then God prepares something else and then God prepares that. Guess what? We serve a sovereign God that's in control, even not only of the big fish that swallowed Jonah, not only in the, the wind that God sent to, to get Jonah back, to, to get Jonah to the well or to the great fish, but we serve a God who also grants repentance to a, a whole city who repents and a God who's able also to talk to the lowliest creatures beneath our feet and there tell it, that creature, look, I've got a job for you to do and that job is to what? Get Jonah's attention. God did this exactly for one person, Jonah, and for us, right? Because we're reading it. <laughs> he's doing it for us, but he's also doing it for Jonah. He loves Jonah so much, I'm going to send a worm there and, and just, just take away your comfort because, because until I do that, you're going to continue to think that God just blesses people good that are good and only curses God, people that are evil. That's a simplistic view of God, by the way. And sometimes we, we think that way. Well, you know, that person deserves that. But in reality... We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve God's judgment. The fact that we are on this side of, this side of eternity <laughs> is, that's grace. That's God's love for you, extended to you. And Jonah hasn't gotten that yet. He's, he's still struggling with, he's getting, the, the illustration is, has to be powerful, right? Because how does the story end? It's a cliffhanger, isn't it? Did Jonah finally get the lesson? We don't know. 
We don't know what Jonah did after this. We don't know if Jonah went back. I mean, you, you know, I always like to think, you know, when you watch these movies and then at the ends of the story, and it's like, but I want to know what happened. Did they live happily ever after? <laughs> don't you? That's the way I, when I watch a movie, it's kind of like, why did they stop the movie and they leave you kind of thinking? Well, they, they want you to think about the movie. And about, well, what happened to that character? And why, wonder where they went. Wonder, did they get married? Did, did they have children? Did they have a happy life after that? You get this cliffhanger at the end, and you're kind of like, what did Jonah do? And I'll tell you what the cliffhanger is all about, maybe, <laughs> at the end. No, I'll tell you at the end, because if we do that, then I'll jump too far ahead of myself. But, but think about it. What's God doing with this illustration He's doing heart surgery, isn't he? He's doing spiritual heart surgery on you and me. I remember uh, it's been, show my age, 11 years ago, uh, the doctor told me, John, you, go to, you need to go to the doctor, to the cardiologist, and uh, have a stress test. Now, I thought, well, okay. Um, I just want to, I, I went to the cardiologist because I knew that when the, he says, because you've got this pain in your right arm, it's not going away, and you need to get that checked out. So I went thinking, okay, well, you know, he's just going to tell me everything's okay, and I'll be on my merry old way. Well, when I got there, he, he did the echo and the, you know, the stress test and everything. And uh, I didn't hear from him right away, but apparently I missed a call. So a month later... They finally called, got a hold of me, and they said, you need to come in and talk to the doctor. And I said, well, what's, what's wrong? They said, well, I think you need to talk to him. And I'm thinking, like, well, wait there. I went to the doctor to get encouragement. We go to God. We want encouragement, right? But sometimes God has to do, he's doing heart surgery. What kind of heart surgery are you doing? He's doing spiritual heart surgery on you and me. But what I found out was that my Widowmaker was 95% blocked, and I had two other main arteries with 85% blocked, and I was, I was walking around with time bomb. It was just a waiting for me to die. And so when I got the cardiologist, and he got me in there, and he said, I can't fix this. You're going to have to go open heart. I said, well, I've got Bible study tonight. He said, no way are you teaching anything. You're going right to the hospital, and next day you're getting in surgery. And I was thinking, like, but I just wanted some encouragement. <laughs> But he had to get what? He wasn't interested in encouragement. He was interested in getting to the root of the problem. God is interested, when you're going through trials and struggles in your life, getting to the root of your heart problem, the heart problem of anger. Anger is not, I mean, there is good anger. It says, you know, it says, be angry and sin not. That's good anger. But I have to admit that a lot of times most of my anger isn't very, isn't very righteous anger, Right? But as Christians, sometimes we live angry at God, and we don't know why. There's anger there, and God's doing heart surgery. And most of the time, it comes back to the point of this, is when I realized that God loved me unconditionally, guess what? It melted my heart. It melted my heart. Because that's what God's trying to do. When God speaks to his people, he's wanting to say to you and to me, guess what? I love you so much, and I want you to hear that every time you get up in the morning and every time you go to bed at night. I want you to hear my voice saying, I love you, and guess what? I sent my son, and I spared him not the cross because I loved you so much. Now, that will change your life, right? 
When you know you are loved, guess what? When you look at other people, guess what? You don't look at them. Yeah, they don't have the right politics. But guess what? God still loves them. Well, they don't have the right clothing. God still loves them. They don't have the right skin color. God still loves his children, red and yellow, black and white. I mean, so there's this, this lesson that Jonah is wanting because I want comfortable grace. I want grace to feel comfortable and make my gourd happy. And guess what God does? He cuts my gourd and it's called uncomfortable grace. <laughs> and it's like, Lord, don't love me so much because it's so uncomfortable and I'm really struggling with what you're doing in my life. And God's saying, but, but I, I want you to know how much your love for me, I want you to love me and love other people. See, God wants to transform us to love other people. Yeah, see, I don't think the end result is always, well, make my life comfortable. I mean, yeah. I mean, boy, I like that. But God's wanting to rip the mask off to let us see ourselves. And often, I mean, a lot of times, until you know that God loves you unconditionally, guess what? You will not be will, willing or able to look at your own heart and your own sin and say, I can take my mask off. And people will love me. And I know people might not love me unconditionally, but I know God will. I mean, have you ever thought, well, if people knew me the way I really am, would they really love me? God says, you can rip off the mask because I love you unconditionally. In Christ. In Christ. In union with Christ. That means our connection with Christ is a union that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so what's interesting about this, Jonah wants God to do what? Adjust his plan to Jonah's plan. What's God doing? No, Jonah, the point of me loving you is for you to adjust your plan to my plan. And my plan is to love the lost. And you're going like, oh, you mean it's not about me praying, Lord, bless my life so that my life goes good. So that my life is just hunky-dory and I can say, you know, look at all the blessing and I don't have to deal with all this other stuff. And God says, no, I want to pull back the layer of the onion of your heart. Keep pulling it back a little bit more. Now, by the way, God does this gradually, right? He doesn't give us, show us all of our heart all at once. We couldn't handle it. <laughs> so that's why he's so loving and gracious to Jonah here. And God's pulling back another layer and another layer and another layer. See, Jonah wants God to adjust his plan, and God's saying, no, I'm not adjusting my plan. You're going to adjust yours. <laughs> now, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Well, Lord, I, I've got a schedule. I, you know, this is the way I did it, and, and on this date, I'm doing this. And on this. No, you're not, John. You're not doing any of those things. In fact, you're going to have me in surgery. Oh, that's what you're doing. I thought you were adjusting your plan to mine because I'm teaching Bible study. No, you're not either, you know? God's not adjusting his plan. He doesn't change his plan for the world. He has a plan that the gospel will reach out to every tribe and every nation, every race, because he wants, he wants worship worldwide, right? That every knee... Yeah, one day, think about it. Every day, we're going to be able to be there. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to be there. And we're going to be amazed because we're in this worship service and we're going to see the amazing thing that God did. See, God 
is at work even before Jonah came on the picture, right? We think, oh, God just started working when I, got, I arrived. No, he didn't. He's been working since the, what? The beginning of the world, and he created, he created the Ninevites. And he says, Jonah, you had nothing to do with their creation. You had nothing to do with them. And should I not show mercy on the Ninevites and people that I created that are in my image? Should I not show mercy to them while you're over here grieving over a stupid castor or a gourd? We become, see, our whole life can become gourd-centered. <laughs> the gourd-centered life is this. Lord, I, just, just bless me and just, uh, and, and. It's all focused on me. It's all focused about God. Thank you. It's like, it's like a, we are, we're like children on Christmas. You never get children like 20 presents. Now, what do they do? Each present they take and they slowly unwrap it. Oh, mom. Oh, dad. I just love you so much. Oh, thank you for that one gift. No, they rip open the next gift. Hey, and all the paper's all over the room, isn't it? And not one little word of thanks to mom and dad. For, and all of a sudden, they just want to play with the toys. And they forget that mom and dad, maybe, and, other, and their relatives and other people sacrificed a little bit to get them the toys. But we love our toys. We don't like God ripping those things away from us. I mean, we're, but we're so, we're so, we're so gourd-centered that we forget that that's not all there is in the Christian life. And I think the, 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 the bottom line is this. God's love, yes, it's, it's a gracious love. It's a patient love. But guess what? It's a very compassionate love. Because what does God do? God's saying, and he uses the word pity there, but it's a word, it's a word that really means God's bowels of compassion. Should not my bowels of compassion flow out to the Ninevites? You remember Jesus when he's teaching in the New Testament, what happens? Jesus looks on the crowd, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And they're, they're whipped. They're beaten up. They've been maligned. They've been, they've been mistreated. And it says, and, God, and Jesus, it says, he was so filled with compassion, and he taught them. He was filled with compassion, and he healed them. He was filled with compassion, and he, he touched the widow's Remember the, the, you know, the widow of Nain. He went up, and it says he was filled with compassion, and he went up, and if, here's the thing about it. It would be like a big funeral procession. He goes up there, and he just touches the, 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 the uh, coffin. <laughs> you remember. Uh, it wasn't a really coffin back then. But anyway, he touched it, and they stopped. And then, God went, then Jesus went up, and he lifted her son up. Her only son. Because he realized that she was going to be a widow destitute without anything to take care of her. She didn't have social security, by the way. And he brought her, it says, to his mother. And that's compassion. So God is wanting us to understand how much we're loved so that we are transformed. God's saying, look, I'm inviting you to participate with me so that you can also be a means of transformation in the lives of others. See, the transformation is that, notice verse 11, and he says, well, verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, you did not make grow, which came up being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? In other words, that word pity. Shouldn't I have compassion? Shouldn't, that, that idea of compassion is that, that God's, it's, it's God weeping. 
God weeping. Weeping over the lost. And you're saying, but... And they don't know their left hand from the right hand. In other words, they don't have any moral compass about them. Do you know any people in our society that don't have any moral compass? They're stuck in their sin. Just basically, they don't, they don't have right and wrong. They call good evil and evil good. And you're saying, but those people deserve judgment. Well, so did Nineveh. <laughs> so do I. Because <laughs> I'm dead in trespasses and sins before I get saved, right? And, and, and so, so God is saying, shouldn't I pity them? Jonah, he's saying to Jonah, Jonah, shouldn't you have the same kind of compassion for these people? And what's interesting about this text, if you, keep, you know, if you just think about it just a little bit, you're going like, what happened at the end? Jonah doesn't tell us. He writes to tell us, and he leaves out the end. And you know why? Because the story isn't just about Jonah. The story is that you and me were Jonah. Think about it. And where is our Nineveh? Where's our Nineveh? Just look outside. That's our Nineveh. Look in Charleston. That's our Nineveh. Look at Chesapeake and Marmette. That's our Nineveh. And God wants us. Look at our schools. That's our Nineveh. And God wants us to go out there weeping. You know, it says there in Psalms, I just read the Psalm this week. I can't remember. I think it's Psalm 124, 25 in there. Anyway, it says, he who goes out what? Sowing, weeping, and sowing will what? Bear fruit. There's a lot of Ninevehs out there. There's a lot of people in need. See, that, see I believe that part of the, if you will, the cliffhanger here is, is for God to say, look, the arrow is not aimed just at Jonah. It's aimed at you and me. Because God wants to get our attention so that we would have the compassion that he has for the lost. See, that was the whole point of this. I mean, Jonah had forgotten. He just went and he delivered and says, God's going to judge you in 40 days. Now, how much compassion does that take? It takes a lot of bravery because you figure, you know, you're going to die. So somebody going to throw rocks and kill you. But the point is, is Jonah could do that, but he couldn't love the people that he was preaching to. See, the application for us is the story is about us. And it's about our compassion. Do we have the compassion for the lost? And I oftentimes I have to say, boy, Lord, Lord, you know, I have a lot of passion. But a lot of times my passion is about the wrong things. I mean, think about it. I have passion for my hobbies. You have a hobby you have passion for? I have passion for, uh, you know, when I was working my job. I love my job. I had passion for, you know, the things that made me comfortable. But, you know, I don't know that I had that kind of passion for the lost. God wants us to have that. And, you know, God is working on each of us for that reason. You know, just a little bit, a little bit. It just takes back one, one, one little strip, another strip. I was listening to um, Henry Blackaby, and I'll close with this. On his, uh, he's got some uh, series on called Experiencing God. Anybody listen to those, by the way? Experiencing God. But his whole point is this, that when God reveals himself to us through his word, his desire is that you and I would come to know him better. I'm probably misquoting him here. I'm not going to say it exactly the way here. To know him better. But it's an invitation for you and me to join him in his compassion for the lost. And he gives this illustration. He said they were, uh, he was teaching some seminary students and um, 
and they were close to a college campus, and they wanted to reach that campus for Christ. And they had been praying and trying to do no, no doors open for a whole year. Until one day, one of the, one of the, one of the students, seminary students, was uh, sitting on the campus, and he heard one girl, or saw one girl reading her Bible. And she came up to him and said, you know, you look like a Christian. And she says, there's 10 other girls here that we get together, but we're all, we're all unsaved. We don't know Jesus, but we're reading our Bible, and we need somebody to come and teach us the Bible. <laughs> now, there's 100 students that came out of that that got saved. And 50 of them probably, he said something like 50 of them went into some kind of full-time ministry. <laughs> and his point was this, and I, I had to write it down because I couldn't remember exactly how he said it. But, but his point was this, God reveals himself to us because he's doing a work. He wants us to join the work that he's doing, not us join him saying, Lord, you come along. And they were inviting God. God, you come along and best what we're trying to do. No, you go and you find out where God's working. You see, when, people, God, when God's working, guess what? You just join in. It's not about us going out and trying to do something that we can't do. We just listen. God brings the people that he's working in. A lot of times those people are going through horrendous experiences. We've just heard some of them this morning in the prayer requests. He wants us to learn his ways, and then he wants us to participate with him. To reach the lost. Isn't that a great way for Jonah to end? <laughs> it's an invitation. The cliffhanger is this. It's about us, and he's inviting us to what? To join him and to participate with him in what he's doing. Not on what I'm doing. Lord, just bless my ministry. Just make it proper, because I've got a big ego. <laughs> no, it's not about that. It's about you and me becoming more like Christ that we might know the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of God. And guess what? Then all of a sudden we look at the world around us and we're able to forgive. And we're able to go out and talk to people about something that people don't want you to talk about. They don't want you. To, I mean, the people that, that God's working in want you to talk about it, but get the rest of the world that want you talking about Jesus. <laughs> in fact, uh, they're shutting all the doors that they can think of. But guess what? Paul said when he died, before he died, he says, the gospel cannot be chained. God's love is so strong, it will bring every change. I don't care what dictator, I don't care what president, I don't care what governor, I don't care who is in whatever established position they're in, they cannot break the chain, they cannot break or chain the gospel. It's too powerful. It's not about me being strong, it's about my God being strong. And he's got a God, he's a God of grace. He's a God of love and mercy. He's a God who's patient, but there's, there's, but he's a God who's active. And the reason he reveals himself through this book of Jonah was he wants us to come join him. I like that. It's an invitation. <laughs> if you are saved, he's saying, get on board. And if you're not saved, guess what? He's saying, Come. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly. Guess what? That's what he wants to make us, meek and lowly. Guess what? Because that's power. You can't break that. You can't break that kind of love. May God grant us that grace this morning.
as we close the book of Jonah and we move on to something else. But I, I, love, I look, love the book of Jonah. The only other book that, uh, that ends this way, I think, is Nahum with a cliffhanger. <laughs> but this one's a cliffhanger of grace and mercy to a world that's in great need. We, we are in a world of great need, don't we? Don't you think? We are in a time of crisis. It's not just a constitutional crisis. It's a moral and spiritual crisis in our land. And God's saying to us as Christians, wake up, pray, plead, weep, show compassion on the lost because they're all around us. Stop, just stop what you're doing. Stop the busyness. Stop all the stuff, all the stuff that you think are really important. And guess what? Just stop and listen. What did Jesus do? He often would do this. If you notice Jesus in the Gospels, read Mark, Mark especially. Jesus is walking along. You know what he said? And it says, and Jesus looked. Just look. Just look around you. Look at the people. Look at their faces. Look at their eyes, how hollow. Look at the sad frowns. Look at the, look at the just, they're angry. You cut somebody off? Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to do that. Why? Because people are angry. They're frustrated. They're just, they're, they're stuck. Their moral compass is broken. And the last thing they need for us to do is what? Pull out a gun and shoot? <laughs> That's not, that doesn't answer anything. That just causes more chaos, right? We need, love conquered the world. This message conquered the Roman world. By the year, probably, they say at least by the year 300, that there was probably close to a million Christians. Started off with what? 120 guys, men and women, guys, men and women, sorry, ladies, men and women upstairs praying. And it conquered the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for, thank you for the book of Jonah. Lord, it's been a wonderful journey. And I pray that uh, you would minister grace to us. Lord, give us the compassion, the love, the relentless love of Jesus uh, to drive us, to move us, uh, Father, to draw us out into a world that's lost and dying. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.